Welcome to Marvelous Disney, the podcast that discusses the most recent doings at one of the more dynamic divisions of the Walt Disney Company, which is, of course, Marvel Entertainment. This is entertainment writer Jim Hill, and my co-host, the amazing Aaron Adams, and I are recording this week's episode on March 22nd, 2021. So I have to ask Aaron, what were your priorities this past weekend? Were we watching episode one of Falcon of the Winter Soldier on Disney Plus, or were we over on HBO Max watching the Snyder Cut of Justice League? To quote a character from Futurama, why not Zoidberg? Which means both. <laughs> Why not do both? <laughs> okay, okay. I, I always appreciate anyone who can shoehorn Dr. Zoidberg into any conversation. <laughs> exactly. Whenever, whenever my wife and I have a tough decision, we usually end up defaulting with, Why not Zoidberg? Which means we'll just we'll have both, whatever it is. Okay, okay. I have to admit, I held off on the Snyder Cut this past weekend in particular, I didn't have four hours to spare. And But I also worry that, is this going to be Blade Runner revisited? You know, remember how, you know... Where you get four cuts of it? Yeah. Yeah, what was it? The original released to theaters in 82, then, then there was the domestic version, the international cut, the... What, the director's direct, cut. In 92, then, then there was the final yeah. cut in 2007. And it's just sort of like... With the Snyder Cut, I, I feel that it's really unfair to compare like the theatrical version to it because it's not like mm -hmm. Zack Snyder's original vision was going to get four hours of screen time across U.S. cinemas. No. That no. was never going to happen. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's great that he got to go hog wild and do all the extra bells and whistles. Like, I'm a, I'm a glutton, so if you can add more on top of it, fine. Mm -hmm go ahead and add more. And I, I did enjoy it. I mean, it was different. There was, you know, you mm -hmm. saw the beats that were the same. You saw what wasn't there, you know, so you know what mm -hmm. Joss ended up adding by proxy. Mm -hmm. And so in comparison, I, I did enjoy it, but mm -hmm. I really, really wonder what it would have been if he had a two and a half hour theatrical restriction runtime limit like a real oh, movie because yeah. it wouldn't be the same thing at all. And it would feel kind of ch choppy and truncated and lopped off in, in places as a result of that. No, 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 I get that. In fact, I may not have watched the film, but I have, you know, I, <laughs> I have read virtually everything that I know about the expanded screen time and storyline for Flash. Likewise, evidently, Cyberborg particularly. Right. That story gets filled out and, you know, we get a, a different take on Wonder Woman, likewise Aquaman. But at the same time, you know, the fact that if that film had been successful and Ed Waters had decided to continue down that road, particularly in the, the end credit scenes, we hinted, was it Justice League 2, Justice League oh, 3? Oh, sure. You know that that, that was going to be the whole idea was to build a big, huge, epic, never-ending saga and, and these characters would mm -hmm. come back forever and ever and ever. Amen. But... I want to know from all of our Marvel fans out there that did watch Justice League when mm -hmm. Wonder Woman is telling the story of the old gods and they get Darkseid an axe in the shoulder. How many Marvel mm -hmm. fans mutter to themselves, should have went for the head? <laughs> I mean, it was the exact oh. same thing. It was the exact same oh. scene, right? It was. That's, we all know okay. it was. We're not going to okay. you know, point fingers or anything like that, but we all said it. Come on. 
Wow. Wow. Oh, great insight. Great insight. So again, the Snyder Cut of the Justice League dropped on HBO Max on the 18th. Um, I also want to point out, though, that on that same day, there was a Why Not Zoeyberg. You know, rather than... <laughs> You know, watching you know Falcon of the Winter Soldier or, or the Snyder Cut, you could also go to a touch of Disney, which was this ticketed experience uh, that was offered at California Adventure. Aaron, it was mostly a food and merch event. I mean, all of the ride shows and attractions inside of California were closed down. But for a lot of Marvel fans who went to this event, the big draw was that this is as close as they've been able to get for months to the Avengers campus at, at that theme park. I saw a couple of photos online that look like they're taken through some shrubbery. Yes, lots. Okay, of, all right. Lots of, you know, uh, you know. The big news was shrubbery with a hint of a Quinjet in the background. Yes, yes. And, and that and a 40s period billboard on the side of the old Stark Motors factory. I want to say the catchphrase is uh, taking automobiles to new heights, which is supposed to reference the flying car that we get to see Howard Stark demoing. Did anyone ever tell Howard, by the way, we do have airplanes? (laughs) You know, but the other thing that, that Marvel fans were fascinated by, in addition to getting these peaks of the land and that sort of thing, the construction fence that circles the still closed off in a high version of the Avengers campus had now been all themed to promote Black Widow. So there were logos up for Taskmaster, Red Guardian, and of course, Black Widow. And I promised myself going into the show, we would not dwell on this, but... Here we are dwelling on this. Well, I mean, I I feel like, again, we're a new show. Oh, speaking of which, I neglected to do this to this point. The news portion of today's show, uh, today's Marvelous Disney, is brought to you by Storybook Destination, trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. For a worry-free travel experience, please book online at storybooksdestinations.com. Anyway, because we are a news podcast, we have to talk about the shareholders meeting that was held. In fact, I think it happened the day after you are going to record our last show, Aaron. And at that presentation, Bob Chapek, the head of... Uh, Disney got asked, what's going on with Black Widow? What about this May 7th release date? And Chapek said that it will be a theatrical release, not a Disney Plus premium access release. That said, when another person came at him with basically the same question, Chapek would not refrain from nailing in the May 7th release date. He then talked about, we have to have a need for flexibility here. That Disney had to take into account when making a decision like this, that situations and conditions change. Here's a direct quote from the presentation. Just a few weeks ago, the theaters in New York and Los Angeles weren't even open. And now all of a sudden they're open. So we're waiting to see exactly how guests and prospective theater goes react to these reopenings. We're going to remain flexible. We're going to make the call probably at the last minute in terms of how these films come to market whether it's Black Widow or any other title. As you know, we've, we've had unbelievable success at theaters, and we believe that the going to the, the theater and seeing a movie with a large audience experience is a, an important component when it comes to building our franchises. But at the same time, we don't think it's the only way to do that. So we're going to remain flexible, and we're going to see what happens over the next couple months. So It sounds like they're going to... Leave the door open for Disney Plus Plus, which is where you give Disney Plus some money for your monthly subscription, plus a little bit more 
to watch a movie that should have been in theaters. The way it's been explained to me is that the weird thing with Black Widow is what happens with Godzilla versus Kong is going to have a big impact on Disney's decision making. Now that's released internationally on March 24th, and then it shows up in theaters here in the States on, on March 31st. Oh my God, that's a horrible litmus test. Because the game's already rigged mm-hmm. for HBO Max to favor mm-hmm. that win over theaters. Because you've got an option of, do I have to go to a theater or can I get it on HBO Max? Whereas Black Widow by itself was theater only. Mm-hmm. And now they're going to sit there and look at something that had another option the whole time and then maybe change their mind. And we already know, like, if you watched, well, I'm sure that Zack Snyder's Justice League got more than 10 viewers. Mm-hmm. HBO Max probably got some new subscribers so that those people could see that event. And then they probably turned off HBO Max and, and aren't going to watch it for another week. Because, you know, if they wanted to be there, they would already be there. Mm-hmm. It, there was a thing that brought them there. That was the Snyder Cut. They bought their ticket. They watched it. Now eh, they're done with it. Unless mm-hmm. something amazing comes along, which lo and behold... Godzilla versus Kong, because as we've discussed before, HBO Max has got a stranglehold on the theater chains because they've got the release to everything for the, you know, next year. Mm -hmm. And that's not a fair comparison to when Disney was going to say for our Marvel movie, it's going to be theater only, theater only, theater only. And then we get really close to the date. And I see why they would do it, because if you look at their calendar, the way that they've got everything staggered Mm -hmm. for the way that all the Marvel shows come out, they've Mm -hmm. got no place to move the girl. So, of course, it's going to be, what's our next option? Disney Plus Plus. One other thing to take into consideration here is that Godzilla vs. Kong opens a full week ahead of the debut in the States, which, again, same day that shows up on HBO Max. And the Marvel movies typically make 60 to 70% of their ticket sales overseas. And the other thing, or at least it was explained to me, is that with the COVID surge, it's going on yet again in Europe. This is supposedly the third surge at this point, and schools are being forced to close, and cafes are being shuttered, and theaters and the like. JPEG has to take the biggest, the big picture into account, and it's yes, the theaters in LA and New York are open, but if the theaters overseas aren't open, and that's where we make the bulk of our dough in these Marvel movies, you know, what's the sense of opening it on May seventh? So. Are we taking bets, by the way, on this? Do we have any odds? What do you think? Is it going to release on May 7th, or is it going to get pushed, or is it going to go to Disney Plus Plus? Where would you Where would you lay your money right this second if I said, here's five free betting dollars. Where are you going to put them? What square? Well, as I was prepping the show tonight, I had ABC News on in the background, and they were talking about uh, you know, what's been going on in Miami with the issues they're having there with COVID, and I just have an uneasy feeling that we're going to see another surge here in the States and that's going to impact the decision making. You're putting your five free dollars on push to another date. I am putting guess. Okay. So. I'm, I'm putting mine on Disney plus plus. Okay. I don't think they've got a place to move it to. So we'll, we'll compare in a, in a couple months time and see what happens with okay. the results. That works. All right. All right. All right. Let's go to our happier topic. I remember on our last show, Aaron and I were talking about our Kevin Feige, what he was talking at the winter 2021 press event for the television critics association was letting folks know that they should anticipate that some of the limited series that Marvel studios are doing may get a season two or even a season three 
Well, literally an hour or so before Garen and I recorded, uh, Variety reported that the about-to-wrap production Hawkeye limited series, which, by the way, I keep hearing from folks in Atlanta about this crazy car chase that they've been shooting down there for weeks. But anyway, the supposedly Hawkeye's getting a spinoff. Variety reports that Etienne Cohen and Emily Cohen have been hired to write and executive produce Echo, which is about a deaf Native American character who has the ability to perfectly copy another person's movements or fighting style, which makes Echo a formidable opponent in battle. Evidently, this Marvel fan favorite will be make her debut in the season one of Hawkeye, and then from there, we'll step off into her own shows. And this is fairly far along. Alquire Cox has been hired to play Echo, a.k.a. Maya Lopez, and it's worth noting here that at least in the Marvel comic book realm, Echo has previously crossed paths with Moon Knight, so maybe Miss Cox will put in an appearance mm. on that Isaac, uh, Oscar Isaac's limited series. That I don't know if Marvel's brave enough to cross over their characters into another show. That's that's risky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, what are the chances of that happening? Exactly. Um, As we move on to the Moon Knight news, <laughs> there we go. Oscar Isaac's has decided to show the world out ahead of Moon Knight what he's been up to and. On Instagram, just this past weekend, he posted a video where he shows off some of his combat training that he's been doing out ahead of shooting a Moon Knight. And it's definitely a departure from Poe Dameron right down to his man bun and his, his scruffy beard. Uh, speaking of limited series, you probably noticed by this point that Aaron and I have not spent a lot of time talking about Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Not yet, anyway. Once Aaron and I get back from break... We will be discussing uh, the first installment in detail, and we'll be back in a sec. Before we get into the Falcon and the Winter Soldier stuff, wanted to ask Aaron, did you get to see Assemble, the, the special about the making of WandaVision? Yes, and I wish they would have spent more time on the sound department because I thought they, they had a lot more that they could have dove into that would have been very interesting for the the casual viewer you didn't have to be a sound nut to get some appreciation for where they could have gone with it mm -hmm. but um yeah i i was craving just that little bit more and i figured if you're not having to deal with time slots and commercial breaks and you know the traditional mm -hmm. network format mm -hmm. why not go a little bit deeper i mean you know you had like you'd said mandalorian you get eight episodes of yeah. behind the scenes for it yeah. and wandavision uh here's a Here's a good hour or so. Mm -hmm. And it's like, yeah, I appreciate that hour. And I, I just want more of it. As you mentioned, season one of The Mandalorian was eight episodes. And they did eight episodes of the Disney Gallery, giving you an in-depth behind-the-scenes look at that, you know, that first yeah, season and of the season show. Yeah, season two, it was completely truncated, right? It was one episode. I mean, it was, yeah. you know, it was a decent episode. But in fact, uh, I'm, I'm sitting here holding the last issue of Cinefix magazine. Uh, issue number 172. They just couldn't make it in a the COVID space. Uh, so this, show, this great behind-the-scenes effects magazine is shutting down production. But they went out on top. They have an amazing issue about the making of The Mandalorian. And the stories in here about season two that I wish they had discussed in that, that making of special. But evidently, this is the new mindset at Disney+. Plus. You know, it's like, you know, we'll do the, the one-hour version. That said, I, I did, you know, I did enjoy a lot of what I learned about uh, WandaVision. In fact, 
there was that great story about the effects guys and how hesitant the director was to go to these guys who'd worked on Endgame, you know, sort of the, the state of the art for effects. And he was hesitant to go to these guys because he had to, wanted them to do cheesy, bewitched era effects. And wire gags that, you know, where you physically hang it from the ceiling and shake it around off a stick. It turned out these guys had apprenticed back in the day on shows like Bewitched. And in a weird sort of way, they, they were delighted to, oh, yeah, geez, I know how to do that. You know, I, I did that back in the day. So it was it was old home week, so to speak. They knew exactly how to do the fishing line and to, to make all the effects work. Likewise, Elizabeth Olsen, for her being there for the live shoot for the I Love Lucy, Dick Van Dyke inspired episode where they had the live audience, it brought her back to when she was a little, little kid and would be taken by her mom to the set of Full House to watch her two sisters shoot in front of a live audience. And so mm-hmm. it's like, wow, I, I know this. I, I've seen this. Likewise, I think you and I have talked about Deborah Jo Rupp from the 70s show. It always fascinates me about why people sometimes take jobs and... In this case, Deborah Joe had let her nephews know that, well, the people at Disney reached out to me about WandaVision. And was it her nephew say, who said he'd never speak to her again unless she took this job? Yeah, I think it was a nephew. Yeah. So it's like, well, I'm here. Beyond that, to then talk with Elizabeth and Catherine Hahn, talk about the flying scenes in the show and how after they got used to the the corsets and the everything they had to be strapped in to do it, how they really, you know, got off on the flying scenes, how much time they spent up in the air and everything they had to do to pull off the flying stuff. I don't think this was mentioned as part of the show, but I came across a story this week about there was a scene that was shot for the final either uh, episode eight or episode nine. I'm not sure on the exact breakdown of it. But supposedly there was a scene where Monica Rambeau, Pietro Maximoff, the Ralph Boner character, mm-hmm. and then Vision and Wanda's two kids, Billy and Tommy, actually break into Agatha's basement and find the witch's dungeon as they're looking for uh, Wanda. And I guess they attempt to steal the Darkhold, and it was it's at that moment that they find out that Senior Scratchy, Agatha's rabbit, is actually a demon. And supposedly this was completely shot. They began effects work on it. But it was one of these things where, again, in our COVID world, just finishing the scene and when you have to, you know, you have this locked in release date from the folks at at Disney Plus, it was like, we have to to put our assets elsewhere. So Right. We don't have time to finish it, but it's not necessary to the overall story. So there we go. There we go. So just... Wonder if that will turn up at some point in, you know, because as I understand it, they're given how hugely popular WandaVision is. I guess there, there's already talk, uh, at least on the, the Walt Disney Home Entertainment division, about Blu-rays, DVDs, and the like. Also, I, I want to just touch base about the legend short film pieces that were done out ahead of Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and. I was confessing this to Aaron prior to us recording tonight, and it, I am genuinely embarrassed to admit that the on-your-left thing that Sam Wilson says before he comes through the portal in Endgame 
is actually referencing Captain America repeatedly passing Sam as he runs around the, the reflecting pool at the Lincoln Memorial, right? Yep. And you should feel shame. You, here's your penance. You got to do four winter soldiers. It's <laughs> <laughs> well, kind of like Hail Marys, but you got to sit down and watch the winter soldier four times. Mm-hmm. And uh, that will absolve you of this particular sin. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I, I would actually be willing to do that. I, I, I genuinely enjoyed winter soldier with its kind of all the president's men kind of. Vibe. Yeah. Speaking of which though, news just broke an hour ago over a deadline. This is already a, a huge success. Deadline reported that Disney Plus says that Falcon and the Winter Soldier ranks as the most watched series premiere ever for that streaming service during its opening weekend, which was Friday, March 19th through Sunday, March 22nd, and is the most watched title overall for the same time period on a global basis, uh, which includes the Disney Plus Hotstar market. So, uh, mind you, no actual viewership numbers were shared with the entertainment press, but that's what Disney's saying out ahead of this. So, Aaron, you, you were nice enough a day or so ago to share your thoughts initially on this. Do you, you want to start things off about with your take on, on episode one? Well, cut to the quick of it. It's I'm glad on episode one I've got a story that I can listen to and be fully engaged in, and I don't have any guesswork to do. I mean, if that was my only gripe with WandaVision, so be it. But it was really refreshing to just go, ah, comfortable slippers, a story I know uh, that I can follow very easily. Not that WandaVision was any taxing mental challenge to get around, just first couple episodes didn't go anywhere particularly. So I was happy about that. We get to see Falcon starting off with high-flying action, so that was extraordinary. Now, when we see the thing with the helicopters where they take the the guy hostage and they fly with their wingsuits through the air and they dive into the side of a helicopter with wingsuits, I said, now that was some incredible effects work to make it look so real. And I had just read yesterday from one of the creatives of the show that they actually got a real person crazy enough to put on a wingsuit and dive within feet of a moving helicopter blade and dive into a side of a helicopter. Not once, but twice so they could get it for two different shots. That was amazing. And then they said that they had were looking online mm-hmm. to find you know, stunts, amazing things that people had done with these GoPro cameras and wingsuits and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And they saw some guys go through these amazingly narrow places. And I think they may have even done something very similar to, if not that helicopter gag. Mm-hmm. And so they had reached out to him like, hey, you want to do that for the show? And they said, yep. And they, they did that. Mm-hmm. But also you'll notice some stylings of when they show Falcon and they have the camera like directly in front of his face, and it's kind of almost got that fishbowl lens kind of quality. And that's kind of the the GoPro look of, you know, you put a little itty-bitty camera on a stick, mount it in front of your face, go down a mountain at 1,000 miles an hour and scream your bloody head off. So the look and the style of some of the choices that they made during that opening sequence were taken from real stuff. And mm. there wasn't as much visual effects as one might believe during some of those really crazy, crazy stunts that I just thought there's no way that they could get enough insurance in the world to do that. Mm -hmm. But they didn't start with that. They started with 
the Sam Wilson character at home, you know, the ironing a shirt and clearly getting ready to go someplace. And and he packs away the Captain America shield in the, the carry case that Cap himself presented to Sam with Bucky looking on at the end of Endgame. And they even ran the dialogue from that scene underneath. What does it feel like? Like it belongs to somebody else. And they included the Cap line. Well, it doesn't. They used that scene to show that this was a conflicted character who literally didn't believe he was worthy of Cap's mantle. He was doing the Superman 2, Spider-Man 2, I'm not worthy of the power, mm-hmm. I'm going to set it aside and mm-hmm. say, no, I'm not going to go that path. And then he's going to have to pick it up at by the end of the show, right? That's the, the always the course of the hero in, in this type of circumstance, right? Well, and what's interesting is Anthony Mackie uh, did some interviews out ahead of you know, the debate with the show. And his take on Sam is like, look, he was a fan of Captain America like everybody else. Uh, Sam right. Wilson was a regular guy who won the lottery because when Black Widow and Captain America knocked on his door and needed a place to hide, he was home. And that's how he became the Falcon. But what I love, the wonderful juxtaposition there is that we go from that scene to the wonderful scene of trying to rescue the guy from the plane and the helicopter, you know, along the Tunisia and Libya border and mm-hmm. showing that Sam is a legitimate hero. That You don't need no shield? No, no, that's it exactly. I, and in fact, this is also where we get to meet the first lieutenant, the Joaquin Torres character that, that Danny Ramirez plays. And, and I thought the follow-up scene for this was also interesting because we're all learning the characters at this point and mm-hmm. at that point did you trust danny what was your take on how the the, the kid on out? the ground that yeah. during the flying scene yeah no i you know what i really enjoyed that they're working with the government agency as backup mm-hmm. support but having the support team now almost showcases how misused the agents of shield were oh, because i can see that being any one of the shield agents backing mm-hmm. up one of our regular heroes mm-hmm. they should have had that linked kind of quality and now we've got these new guys from i don't even know what branch he's in yeah but he's someone so new and i throughout the course of that episode i grew to like him Mm -hmm. through his actions i feel he's a a trustworthy uh, on the right side not Mm -hmm. the double agent kind of character so Mm -hmm. i'm hoping for good from him but it it was always like man if they would have done this with mac as you know backup it would have fit you know what I mean? I, I know. I know. During that flying scene, I do have to say now that I do believe that Anthony Mackie does mm. put on a backpack with wings to go to work every day because <laughs> it looked great. It looked it was exhilarating to watch. I really enjoyed that whole thing. It was great to have Don Cheadle show up in the beginning as a backup character. You know what I mean? Like it's it's like you're go through a war. I would imagine mm-hmm. if, if someone's been through, a, you know, a tour of duty, mm-hmm. they've got brothers for life that they've experienced the thing that only they should on this planet only I, them i am so glad you brought up don Cheadle because that scene where we get sam going to the department of defense and he's there supposedly handing off the captain america shield so it can be permanently put on display in the, the captain america exhibit i, I believe we, we've established that was at the smithsonian or something like that right but don Cheadle is roadie in that scene without really saying it it's like this is a bad idea you should hang on to that shield. You know, you were given that shield and the world needs heroes now and you are worthy of this mantle. But the fact that Sam 
felt this was the right thing to do. And and Rhodey doesn't press him on it. It's like, okay, this is your decision. You needed him to kind of like help kind of back him up and mm-hmm. say, uh, you're worthy. So it mm-hmm. wasn't just, you don't want it to be an ego thing. Like, no. yes, I'm good no. enough to be Captain America. It's kind of got to have a huge ego to say that. So the main character can't say it himself. He's got to have one of his close friends that knows him, you know, on a more intimate level of where his moral code is. To say, yes, you are indeed worthy. I do have to ask, though, Mm -hmm. do you think Chris Evans gets any credit for his use of his face everywhere in the Cap Museum? Or is he just Cap from now on? Like, they can pull his high school pictures and go, hey, I remember Cap from that one party at the, you know, I mean, how does that work? Does he, he he wasn't in the credits as far as I saw. A couple of months ago, we had that interesting exchange where the news broke that Evans was supposedly coming back you know and again I think you were the one who pointed out that Chris immediately (laughs) tweeted out news to me so would that be part of the old contract or the new contract by the way we're using your face again yeah I mean you don't have to come to the set I mean if you thought that (laughs) the contract says if you don't have to get on a plane and come here for anything and we can just use an old photo you don't get no more money (laughs) (laughs) Okay, now we've talked about the Falcon. It's now time to talk about the Winter Soldier, which throughout the entire first episode, these two characters are not in the same place at the same time. And both of them are facing challenges. What did you you think of when it was revealed that Bucky was in therapy or or somewhat reluctantly in therapy? The psychological sparring with the doctor is a fun way to get inside the head of your hero. You got to do something to tell the story, right? So, mm-hmm. I mean, you, you got to find the, the shorthand. Mm-hmm. And they started off, they had a nice, powerful intro for him where they show him in battle. And you're like, yeah, there's Winter Soldier kicking butt and taking names. And then mm-hmm. the the way that they introduce him ends mm-hmm. and they don't quite say he did the bad thing. But you mm-hmm. feel he did the bad thing. No. So then to be in treatment and to find out that Bucky has a my name is Earl list, I thought was really funny. Yeah. Yeah. And the humor stopped as Mm -hmm. soon as you find out exactly why certain things take place in the episode and one name is on the list and you go, oh, that is sad. And now you've got all this, a big old bowl of boiling empathy for Mm -hmm. the character, right? No, absolutely, but it's going to be kind of intriguing because it's also one of these situations where it's like, how can he possibly make this right this many years after the fact? You can't make it right. All you can do is say, I did it, and I'm sorry, and accept the repercussions of whatever that person throws at your head that happens to be within reach at that moment. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, that's sad. But you know what? The The thing that I'm enjoying about that is I don't think we would have ever gotten that character depth in a Marvel film. I think we needed the space of episodes to break this up into bite-sized pieces where they got to, you know, you can't just have action and explosions and fighting. You've got to have a character arc. We can't just have them go on a mission but not be changed at the end of it. Otherwise, our heroes remain stagnant, and we don't want stagnant heroes. And Falcon... And his family and their boat that leads to an awkward, awkward, awkward scene at a bank Mm -hmm. was Michael Scott running this bank here. Shut that guy up. Well, (laughs) now it's interesting that you bring up the scene at the bank because one of the things I genuinely enjoyed about the first episode 
of Falcon and the Winter Soldier is when they'd refer to the blip, you know, the five years where half the population of the Earth was, was elsewhere. And it was an interesting bend on the fact that here was Sam and his sister, Sarah, trying to get a loan from a, a banker who was clearly enthusiastic at the Falcon, was there right in front of him and, you know, wanted a selfie and all that. But he then turns him down because he's looking at the past five years of his credit history and he doesn't have one. It's like, well, yeah, I was blipped. Bank don't care if you've been blipped off the planet for five years and come back. You ain't got no credit. Yeah. And it just sort of like, you know, in a weird sort of thing, that, that felt so real for today's world. It's like, yeah, you, you are aware that half the world just went away for five years and came back. And they're like, yep, absolutely. Don't mm -hmm. care. Yeah. Not our problem. It's your problem. Which brings us to the big bad or, or what's being set up to be the villains of this thing. The Flag Smashers. And evidently, it's this secretive group that believes the world was better during the blip and, and now wants to restore that world without borders. And we now go back to Lieutenant Torres, who's somehow managed to be, you know, that there's sort of a, a cultish surrounding of the Flag Smashers and manages to be in the right place at the right time when the Flag Smashers are breaking into some sort of financial institution in Switzerland and attempting to make off with two giant duffel bags full of something of value. And so Torres attempts to take somebody down who is very quickly revealed to be superpowered. But let's talk about how this episode actually ends with Torres reaching out to Sam, sharing this info, and then Sarah comes into the room and it's like, you gotta come watch something. And the two of them stand there in front of the television and we're back at the Department of Defense. In fact, we start this, this thing off with the, the gentleman who Sam gave the shield to, uh, the, the Department of Defense representative in front of a podium giving a speech about how America needs heroes again. And suddenly, here's the new Captain America, John Walker. I will only refer to him as U.S. agent. There we go. I will not tarnish the Captain America okay. name by... By okay. linking the two, I will, yeah, he's U.S. agent in, in my brain. That's okay. it. Okay. And Sam Wilson's face as this sh this particular episode ends. Twitter's overall face matched. Uh, there, was, there was a whole lot of that ain't my cap yeah. going on. Mm -hmm. There was, did you see, uh, okay, is it Carl from Up? Yes, yes. There yes. was a lot of pictures of people putting Carl with a Captain America hat on it. <laughs> And if you put the two side by side, my goodness, there's a there's a comparison. It is an unfortunate chin, isn't it? Yeah. But again, Sam's face of of just the emotions that played over, and you should get the sense that I got played. You know, I I handed over the shield and I got played. It's a very interesting place to leave off because episode one ends. We've got. Sam and Bucky in different places. Uh, we have no Baron Zemo. We have no Agent 13, Sharon Carter. And Carrie Scoglin, the, the series director and the executive producer, stressed right from the beginning. It's like, look, from the beginning, we were making a six-hour-long movie. I, I'm just fascinated to see where they go from here. There's no mm -hmm. uh, fat on this tissue it is all lean i mean everything about it is telling story mm -hmm. and even if it's the bank scene it's telling us the state of the overall mcu and how people are treated 
mm-hmm. pre blip and post blip. There's a lot of this that we didn't really get that nuance in Spider-Man Far From Home when they just, you know, come back. You know, we got a little opening scene where, where they were doing their news and they go, well, the band was in the gym and then they were gone and then they were back again. And here's your Spider-Man movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was kind of all they ever did about the blip in that movie. So here you get a little bit more. And we also did get to see that in WandaVision when Monica Rambeau comes back in that one opening yes, uh, moment. Yes, yeah. And a lot of those moments that that gave a huge amount of instant emotion Mm -hmm. because we knew what was happening when we saw her not dissolve, but resolve, Mm -hmm. you know, just form from the dust and and come back. And then there's all the chaos in in the hospital. And, you know, exactly in the Marvel shorthand, exactly Mm -hmm. what's happening in that moment. And I think that's one of those nice things about having these longer uh, you know, six hours, we break them up into episodes, but we get room to breathe. We get room to explore those little corners. You have nailed what we're seeing now just on the back of WandaVision, coupled with just a little taste of things we've gotten so far, a Falcon of the Winter Soldier. That very thing, that the stories that get to breathe. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, I can't help but think of that scene in the library between Vision and White Vision, where mm-hmm. they have the philosophical discussion about, I'm blanking the name of the, the ship of Theseus. I think you and I talked mm-hmm. about this with the runtimes of Infinity War and, and Endgame, that it was almost admirable that there would be these little quiet character moments, but it just, you had a three hour runtime and you could do that. And you were just a few minutes ago alluding to the, you know, here's the Snyder cut with its four hours, but. Could these beats have made it into a two and a half hour version of this movie? And and I right. I really like this take on the superhero world. In addition to great action scenes like the the, the jumping through the the helicopter with the blades going, but that you get these little quieter character moments where you see Sam fighting with his you know I mean uh, those scenes in in the show where you get the sense of decades worth of family fights in little stunted conversations where, oh, let's not have this fight again. No, those moments with family that I didn't even know he had a sister, you know, and and then you get to have these moments and you find out they got a boat. And Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, it's just wonderful to get to know our our heroes that we already love, but now Mm -hmm. we've got even more reason to love them because they're grounded and more human. And that's... Really what we like is good old flawed characters that rise above their flaws and, and become the noble, righteous thing that we all love. Well, the hero's journey. There we go. Now, here's the one question before we sign off, Jim, is what if this changes everything? What if uh, Disney Plus is just makes so much money mm-hmm. because of new subscribers? It's the highest rated show they've ever mm-hmm. had launching right out of the gate. I think that trend will continue as long as they keep up good, tight storytelling. Mm-hmm. But then if you look and something happens with Black Widow and it doesn't, it doesn't launch right away, their movie division starts, I don't want to say souring, but mm-hmm. what if they start going, hey, maybe we should make our next, not Avengers, maybe it is a new Avengers movie, but what if we make that Avengers the TV show instead? Because we just make so much damn more money on Disney Plus subscriptions than what we've been able to make because the world is still recovering from COVID for the next year, two years, whatever. I hate to say this, but 
I think these conversations are already happening in executive suites all over Hollywood. For example, if you look at Paramount Plus and how yeah. much of the Star Trek franchise, I mean, there was supposed to be the Star Trek four that Quentin Tarantino supposedly wrote a script for it. And all plans for Star Trek theatrical releases are on hold now because this now has become such a money generator for subscription streaming yeah. services. And They're doing, like, I think a bold new world is the adventures of Captain Pike and Spock. There we so, go. There we go. Yeah, yeah I mean, they, they are they are leaning that way. And, you know, kind of like what I was saying before is that with the CBS, you, you do the new uh, seasons of Discovery or whatever, and mm-hmm. they we get your money right now, and then two years from now we'll run season one on traditional CBS, the, also, the channel. Two bites of the same apple. Yeah, exactly. So I I just wonder if theatrical is hurting and it's not, you know, the theater's fault. It's just COVID and the world. But a business is going to react or it's going to die. And I just wonder if they start moving some of their storytelling where they realize we can have these beats that we couldn't have in a movie. And people are giving us gobs of money to uh, watch long form television Mm -hmm. every week. I think if they pack the calendar, we'll, I'll never cancel my subscription ever. And especially if you double that with Star Wars on the backside of, yeah. you know, I mean, they're just getting going with Mandalorian. They've got a hundred other things that they want to put on. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I can't wait for the world where I'm just watching Mandalorian and then WandaVision season two and then mm-hmm. Books of Boba Fett and then Falcon and Winter Soldier. Just, yeah, keep it coming. Keep it coming. I don't need to go to a theater for any of my entertainment anymore. I'm good at home. Well, now, that said, though, I guess as we bring the show to a close here, it's worth noting that for a short couple of years there, Avengers Endgame was the top-grossing film of all time. However, earlier this month, James Cameron's Avatar was released to theaters in China. But that made enough money to reclaim of the throne, so to speak, to become the, the top-grossing film in Hollywood history. And what was genuinely cool, and this is kind of a tradition that now goes back to when Titanic surpassed the original Star Wars as the highest-grossing film of all time in Hollywood at that point. And there was this wonderful trade ad Lucasfilm had made of all of the Star Wars characters, but on the sinking Titanic, you know, and they, they, they paid tribute to, to, to James Cameron as he took the, the title. And I think Cameron did much the same thing when Endgame took the, the title back. But just this past week, when uh, Avatar became, once again, the, the top-grossing film in Hollywood history, the folks at Marvel went out of their way to pay tribute to Cameron and producer John Lando and all of the Navi Nation for reclaiming the box office crown. And they, they ended their ad with... We love you 3000. And Anthony and Joe Russo, Russo, uh, the directors of Endgame, get get a kind of a fun nod to the Infinity Gauntlet. They said to Cameron and crew, we pass the gauntlet back to you. Well, since Disney owns both Fox and Marvel, what a lovely story of how Disney just handed themselves a trophy. (laughs) Well, Disney, you did so well by re-releasing this in a place that has no other entertainment that they will actually watch. A 15-year-old movie. Congratulations. Here's this trophy. Well, thank you, Disney. That's so kind of you to make this trophy and hand it to me. I know it took many artists many hours to draw it and write this beautiful message so that I can receive it on behalf of myself. Uh, Let me break my arm. 
as I pat myself on the back real good. Ah, that felt nice. Everybody uh, applaud my greatness. <laughs> Go ahead, applaud my greatness. I deserve it. As Sally Field once said, you love me. You really love me. Uh, and scene. <laughs> and this is why I so enjoy doing this show with Aaron Adams. Okay. Well, anyway, This edition of Mud has been brought to you by Mudslide, the preferred <laughs> drink of one of the hosts of Marvelous Disney. <laughs> well, uh, that graceful notes if you enjoyed listening to today's show want to point out we do have a number of other shows here at uh the jim hill media podcast network uh we have disney dish with lentesta which by the way i uh, want to point out that just last week we took our amazing Bandcamp exclusive show that len and aaron worked so hard on the, the 1978 version of the american adventure script and we took it out from behind the paywall to make it available to everyone. And it's been so nice to have so many people acknowledge how much they enjoyed that and what a great job uh, you and Len did on that, Aaron. But yeah, we have that. We also have fine-tuning with Drew Taylor, writing a new Universal Joint, uh, which Justin Fuse and I should be recording shortly. Anyway, folks, if you could do Aaron and I a favor, if you get out to Bandcamp and subscribe, that would be incredibly helpful. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram as Jim Hill Media. And over on Facebook is Jim Hill Media News. And I think that's going to do it for now, Aaron. I guess uh, you and I will regroup after we get to see uh, the next couple episodes of Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which, as I mentioned, I can't wait to see where this goes.